Well, good morning, everyone. Lots of chatter in the house today. That's nice to see. It's wonderful to join you here today, and I thank Pastor Sean for the invitation to speak with you today. My name is Donna Pichet, and some of our pastors are away for a little March Madness. Anyway, we've been going through this series, and it's been quite soul-searching, and haven't our pastors done a great job in guiding us through it? Yeah. So glad we made it through the dark night of the soul. Yeah, I wasn't talking about Pastor Sean's message. I was talking about winter. It's finally spring, maybe. Don't put away your puffy coats just yet. But hopefully soon. So we've been looking at ways that we can develop emotionally, spiritually, healthy spirituality. And today we're going to take the next step and we're going to look at growing into an emotionally mature adult. <laughs> Sounds fun, hey? So the goal of every Christian life is to love well. Jesus was aware that true spirituality not only involved loving God, but loving others maturely. In Doskovsky's novel, he tells a story about a wealthy woman who asks an elderly monk, how can I know that God exists? And he tells her, there's no explanation or argument that can achieve this, only the practice of active love. At some time, she thinks that maybe she'll become a sister of mercy and she'll serve in holy poverty, serving the poor in the humblest way. But then she thinks, I don't know, they could be sort of ungrateful. They might complain that the soup is too cold and the bread is stale and the bed's too hard. And she says, and then I just, I can't bear it. To which the wise monk responds, love in practice is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. Loving well is the goal of every Christian life, and it's easier in our dreams than in practice. And it requires that we grow into an emotional adult in Christ. And the rewards are rich. So how do we measure spiritual maturity? And some of you might think, well, it's how often you attend church. Maybe it's how often you tithe. Or do you pray? Do you do devotions every day? Do you serve and volunteer? And all of those are great. And you might have all of your boxes checked, and you might have all of your ducks in a row. But that's not what they're talking about today. They're talking about how well we love others. In Mark 12, 30 to 31, it talks about the greatest commandment. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandments are greater than these. Let's pray. Father in, Father in heaven, we invite your Holy Spirit to come and speak to us today. Open the eyes of our understanding and teach us what you want through this word. We just ask that you bless each one here and those who have joined us online today. Amen. So let's look at the book. We're going through this book, and I'm going to quote from the book. Let's look at emotional infants. Well, they're characterized by these statements. They look for others to take care of them. They have a great deal great deal of trouble entering the world of others. 
They're driven by the need of instant gratification, and they use others to meet the needs. They use others as objects to meet their needs. And we have a 15-year-old granddaughter, 15-month-old granddaughter, and she slept over last night, and she's all of the above because she's an infant. But as an adult, we don't want to behave like that. Emotional children, they're content and happy as long as they receive what they want. They unravel quickly from stress, disappointments, trials, and they interpret disagreements as personal offenses. They complain, withdraw, manipulate, they may take revenge, they become sarcastic when they don't get their way, and they have a great difficulty calmly discussing their needs and wants in a mature and loving way. Okay, emotional adolescence. They tend to be defensive, they're threatened and alarmed by criticism, they keep score, so they can ask for something later in return. They deal with conflict poorly, often blaming, appeasing, going to a third party. They pout. They have a great difficulty truly listening to another person's pain, disappointments, or needs, and are critical and judgmental. Hmm. So growing into an emotionally mature Christian includes experiencing each individual as sacred, including ourselves. And Martin Buber wrote a brilliant book, and he described how we are to see people. And he talks about this relationship as thou and it. And at first I thought, thou and it. I was having a hard time wrapping my head around it. It's so King Jamesy. But then I realized he was old, and he was speaking of thou as holding something in the highest regard and holding something sacred. And he says that the potential becomes apparent when two people actively and authentically engage with one another. They show up for one another. And he calls this as the I-thou relationship. So to put it in layman's terms, we're talking about seeing people without objectifying them and seeing them as something that we can use or get something from. We see a cashier in a store, and he or she is someone who's doing a role. We just want to purchase something. We want them to ring our purchase through, and we want them to do it quickly and efficiently as possible. The waiter. We focus more on the term serving or how is the service today, rather than seeing the person as an individual. Perhaps you're in a position of authority at work, and you have people who work under you. How do you see them? Do you see them as people that you just need to get the task done that you're given them? So let's look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. In Luke 10, 25, the parable of the Good Samaritan, it says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what's written in the law? Like, Duh, you're a lawyer. He says, how do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, you answered correctly. Go and do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, 
said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Let's stop right there. This lawyer is looking for a loophole. Lawyers love loopholes. That's their job. They're looking to look for loopholes. But we like loopholes too. And you see, Jesus was always running around and he was socializing with the least of the least of them. The tax collectors, the drunkards, the less than virtuous women. And the lawyer wanted to put him to the test. But now he suddenly becomes the defendant and he does what every accused person desires. He wants to justify himself. And so he asks the one question he believes will do so. And by doing so, he creates this loophole to choose who his neighbor will be. Those people who are like-minded, believe in what he believes, vote like he votes, post on social media what everyone agrees with, and he sticks with those people. And depending on how we were, we were raised, we have allowed stereotypes to come in and shape us and see people differently. We, like the lawyer, even have our own Samaritans that we want to take a wide berth around and avoid. And depending on how we were raised and how culture has affected us, we have ingrained stereotypes that are limiting, that stop us seeing people as individuals. And we use our judgments against them as an it rather than a thou. People are seen as objects for our purpose. When people give you what you want, you're satisfied. When they don't, you're frustrated. So Will and I just returned from a holiday in Costa Rica to celebrate our anniversary and our birthday. And quite early in our marriage, we decided that when we traveled somewhere else in the world, we wanted to make an impact. Now, we knew we couldn't change an entire nation, but we wanted to bless a few people that we came in contact with on our trips. That may be everyone from the waiter to the maid to anyone else. And we often research, what do they need there? What's hard to get? Or what toys do children like there? And we purposely set out to find someone we can do this with. Perhaps not in a huge way, but just anyway. So once while we were in Egypt for about a week, we had the same waiter every morning. And we started chatting with him, and you learn a few words in Arabic to converse and humor them, because usually it's so bad it's funny. And we began to talk with him, and we learned that he had just had a baby boy, but he hadn't seen his wife and baby boy for over three months. They work long periods in these resorts, and he earned less than $60 a month in wages, and his time off was coming up. It was less than two weeks, and he didn't have the train ride money to get home. And it's a meager amount to Will and I, like so meager. And so we were able to help him out and he was going to be able to go home and see his wife and baby boy. And it changed his whole demeanor. And we became fast friends for the short time that we were there. Now, we knew when we went to Costa Rica, we wanted to do a similar thing. And they're not quite as poor as the Egyptians, but just being kind to the waiters every morning and seeing them as a thou and not an it. So many people complain, and especially during COVID, because service is slack and whatnot.
But we had this one waiter named Alexandro, and we had him every morning and a couple of times in the evening, and we engaged with him, and we learned that Alexandro had three children, and two of them were teenage daughters, but one of them was a four-year-old little boy, and he got quite emotional when he told us that he had just taken him to school for the first time. And so we tipped him well and talked with him and a couple of the other waiters, and on the last morning we were there, we told Alexandro and the other waiter we were leaving, and that was our last day. And Alexandro started to cry, and he hugged us. And then he made me cry, and Will teared up, and whatnot. And he ran back into the kitchen, and he just wanted to do something for us. And he ran back, and he got us packages of coffee, and he brought us some special Costa Rican sauce. It, this is a must. You have to have that. Anyway, we didn't do it to get something in return. We just wanted to bless them in any way we could. But I also knew that because I was speaking on this subject, I said to Will before we left, you know he's going to throw someone in my path that's going to be really difficult to like, really difficult to see as a thou. And little did I know, that would come in the form of Birdman. Now, lots of you who follow me on social media, you know that Will and I love nature, and we love taking pictures of nature and everything from poisonous dart frogs to sloths and whatnot. And some of you are saying, yeah, don't we know it. It's okay. There's an unfollow button. <laughs> anyway, when we go someplace like Costa Rica and to some of these special parks where all the animals are, it helps to hire a guide because you see things you would never, ever see. And so we had booked a private tour. And we when we showed up to the Carrera National Park, we realized that there were eight other people waiting for our tour guide, and our tour was no longer private but it was, had eight other people in it. And I already was a little bit disturbed and not thrilled. And so, and one man in our group was from Olympia, Washington. And he's my bird man. And if you need a mental picture, think of Jack Black as Professor Sheldon in Jumanji. Yeah, and he had his socks pulled up to, over his pants to his knees because he was afraid of something biting him in the jungle which is possible, but anyway. And he had on a kind of like a cloth pith helmet, and he was sporting a $2,000 pair of binoculars. And how did we know they cost $2,000? Because Birdman told us so. And he wanted to see every bird within 50 kilometers with those binoculars. Now, you partner him with our keen jungle tour guide, Mauricio, and you have a deadly combination. They were into their own little world, looking at birds and nothing else, and they forgot to realize there were eight other people in the group dying, dying. Every sound had them jumping into the woods, and you add 34-degree heat. No, make it 36, because it's super humid there. And 10 people standing around a spotting scope, looking at the plain black wren, for the third time in the row. Yeah, I wanted to show the Birdman a completely different way that he could look through his binoculars. <laughs> but anyway, I was so agitated and frustrated, I said, Will and I had a little chat, and we actually wanted to leave. 
but we hadn't paid yet, so we didn't know how to do that. I know that God could see my frustration, and knowing how emotionally mature I was, he decided to spice things up. And all of a sudden, Mauricio, our tour guide, said, I need an assistant. And all of a sudden, it was like when Pastor Tyson talked about the Disney movie Encanto when everyone had a special gift. Oh, Lord, make me invisible. Make me invisible. But no, Mauricio came up to me, and he handed me his Costa Rican bird book, and he said, you will be my assistant. And he had memorized this book cover to cover. And every time Birdman spotted a bird, it was my job. He'd call out a page number, page 115, plain black wren, and that was my job. Yeah, so at one point, I became so frustrated, and I decided I needed a break from the group. I wandered down the path, and I had a little daily office with God. And standing in the heat amongst the leafcutter ants, I started to chat with him. This is super annoying. I'm super frustrated. I'm bored out of my ever-loving mind. I'm hot. I'm angry. I, 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 I. And I could almost hear him laughing. And he said, I told you so. Love has no loopholes. Reminding me. So I knew I had to change my attitude quickly before I slipped down the scale from emotional child into emotional infancy. It's easier to love the waiter. You engage for a little bit. They give you special sauce and coffee. Easy to tip the maid and greet her. Hola, buenos dias, all good. But to engage with Mauricio and Birdman and make it about them and not me, now this was a challenge. 36 degree heat, three hours later. Page 216, Scarlet Macaw. Page 188, Crowned Wood Nymph. Four and a half hours later, people, four and a half hours later, we finally said goodbye to our group. I was so relieved. Mauricio wanted me to give him a good review. I kind of winced. I was so happy to be free of them, but God wasn't finished with me yet. We traveled hundreds of kilometers because we had a rental car up and down the Costa Rican coast. They have dozens of national parks. We ran into Mauricio not once, not twice, three times. And each time he wanted to talk with us because God was always reminding me, love has no loopholes. So we have to ask ourselves, why do we get so frustrated with people? For me, it was easy to answer. Things were not happening the way I wanted them to. Think about the last time you were really frustrated, impatient, or angry. Maybe it was before church. Maybe it was at work the other day, or at a store. Maybe it's with a family member. What were you frustrated and irritated about? I'll tell you why you were frustrated. It's page 156. It's the plain black wren. Things are not going the way you wanted them to. People were not behaving the way you think they should. Matthew 7, 1 says, Judge not that you be not judged. For what judgment you pronounce, you will be judged with. And the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck 
in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye. Do you know how hard it is to walk in the jungle with a log in your eye? It's hard. So what are some of the traits of an emotionally mature Christian or adult? It's something we're all striving for. I love this quote that I came across a few weeks ago. It says, maturity has two parts. Number one, having a lot to say. And number two, not saying it. And I love this quote Lindsay put up on her social media on Instagram the other day. It says, the level of our offendability often reveals the level of our maturity. I thought that was good. But this is from the book, Spiritually Mature Adults. You're able to ask for what you need and want or prefer clearly, directly, and honestly. You recognize, manage, and take responsibility for your own thoughts and feelings. You can, when under stress, state your beliefs and values without becoming adversarial. You respect others without having to change them. You give people room to make mistakes and not be perfect. You appreciate people for who they are, the good, the bad, the ugly, and not what they can give back. You have the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and negotiate solutions and consider the perspective of others. You practice the presence of people. I love that one. And emotionally mature Christian adults, we recognize that loving well is the essence of true spirituality. And Jesus did this with every person he met. He had the ability to really, really listen to them and engage with them, and this moved him to compassion. He set out to engage with the least of the least of them. So what do you do if you have someone who's super impossible to be around? Perhaps someone who is even at the point of abusive. Our son is a captain, but when he was a young seaman, he had gone off to sea for four months or so on a ship in Tunisia. And I remember one day he called and he said, Mom, I'm really scared. And he said, and I don't know what to do. He said, our captain is super mean and super abusive. And he said, and they told me that if he didn't like you and he didn't agree with you, he had ways of making you disappear off the ship and no one would ever know. And I said, oh my gosh, what are you going to do to ever get along with him? And then he said something quite profound. He said, Mom, everybody has a side you can get along with. You just need to find it. Okay. It's interesting that in our devotions a few weeks ago or a month or so ago, we came across the story of Judas betraying Jesus. And I thought it was interesting. I thought, I'll look up what the name Judas means. And Judas is, in Greek, is a variant of the Hebrew word Judah, and they both mean God is thanked and God is praised. And I thought, isn't that something? That Judas, Judas' name of all names means God is praised? Even with the most difficult people that come across our path, if we allow them to, God can use them for his glory and praise. 
Often when Sue and I do prayer counseling and we pray with someone who's been in a relationship that's extremely abusive and um, toxic, we ask them not to look at them through their own eyes. We say, how does God see them? How does Jesus see them? And they, they look at them in their brokenness. How were they raised? How were they treated? What's happened to them that's made them so abusive and whatnot? And often this really helps the person see that person through a different filter rather than our own. In Pete Cesaro's book, he lists a guide to follow called the Bill of Rights. And it's pretty basic rules. But one that stands out the most is stop mind reading. Yeah. Exodus 20:16 it says, "You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor." To check out assumptions or stop mind reading, as like we like to call it. It's a very simple but powerful tool that eliminates untold conflict. It enables us to check what I'm thinking or feeling about is really true. It enables me to clarify potential misunderstandings. So what are some of the practical ways we can, what we can do to grow spiritually, into a spiritually mature adult? The rabbis call the term that they practice rodef hased, and it literally means chasing kindness. Chasing kindness, practically speaking, is one becomes a giver. By focusing on the needs of others, what are they feeling? What are their worries? How can I help? We should all be concerned with other people's needs as we are our own. Chasing kindness is not a function of begrudgingly ascending to someone's request. 115, plain black wren. Nor is it giving with the ex expectation that something will be given in return. Rather, chasing kindness means going out of your comfort zone to actively seek opportunities in which you can care for the welfare of others. So in the days to come, I think we've been challenged to notice how we can seek out people, how we can bless them, to view them as thou's and not it's. You're going to come across people in the public service sector, the Alexandros of this world. What can you do to bless them? What can you do to engage with them? Bless them so much that they're sad when you leave. Then you're going to come across the birdman. These people are going to drive you crazy and make you super frustrated. Stop and ask yourself, why are you getting so annoyed with them? Why are you so frustrated and angry? Don't look for loopholes. Look for a side of them that you can get along with. But then you may come across the actual Judas in your week, in your life. The people who are the true backstabbers, who are going to betray you. I'm not asking you to socialize with them, but I'm asking you to give them over to God and let him use them for his praise and glory. And lastly, I think it's good to note that Jesus himself looks at us and see what he says and how he notices us. 
We are his servants with all of our flaws, with all of our shortcomings, with all of our selfish attitudes. And it says in John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now the New Testament uses a very strange word to describe our relationship with God. And he uses the word doulos. And in, in our English translation, it's translated as servant. I no longer call you servant. But really, this word translated, doulos, is slave. And in Greek terms, this slave, the doulos slave, was of the lowest rank. The doulos slave had no... He was of the lowest rank, and he was like livestock or something like that. They had no rights. You may have been born into this type of slavery um, by your parents. It could have been the spoils of war or economic hardship. And the Greek people looked on these doulos slaves with complete and utter scorn. They had no position. They had no state. And for all matters, they were less than human. But notice, however, Jesus changes the status of his followers from doulos slave to philos friends. In this moment, our status is changed, and from now, moment to moment, we are in a friendship with the Lord. But it's also good to note that Jesus used two different words when he speaks of the word call. In the first one, he says, I no longer call you slaves. He uses the word lego. But in the second one, when he says, I call you friends, philos, he changes that little word call to ario. And that word has a different meaning. And it means to command and declare. So he commands and he declares that we are his friends. And this change doesn't come about because we're suddenly enlightened or because we have a deeper understanding. Our status is being changed solely because Jesus declares us as friends. We should be so greatly humbled because of the fact, unlike the lawyer, Jesus was justified in looking for a loophole to avoid us. He could have walked around us like the Samaritan, taking a wide berth, but instead he reached out and he set us free from bondage. He rescued us from being the lowest of the lowest slave, barely human, face down in the dirt. He picks us up, he dusts us off, and he doesn't just imply or say, but he declares and commands you as friends. And he wants you to be about his father's business. And what is his father's business? Well, it's loving people well. It's loving people as yourself. And it may even be looking up one page 56, the plain black rim. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you for your word today. And to teach us through your Holy Spirit. We ask you to forgive us where we have fallen short of loving others as you would like us to, where we have been frustrated and angry with others. 
Forgive us where we have seen people as it instead of thou. Lord, we need your help to grow into spiritually mature adults and to love others well. Now, maybe you're here today and you've never thought of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never asked him to pick you up, dust you off, and let him walk alongside of you as your friend. You've never allowed him to be your Lord and Savior. And today, he's calling you. And you can feel him calling you now. And if you're listening online, you can feel him too. And if that's you today and you want to receive him as your Lord and Savior so that he can call you friend, just raise your hand. And if you're at home, just raise your hand. And if that's you, you can text the word LIFE to 250-478-7113. And one of our pastors would be happy to assist you and help you along with that. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you go into this week and you find people that you can truly bless.